Well, good morning, everybody. I have to say, before I really kind of get into the lesson this morning, I am really enjoying No Shave November and, and seeing some of the guys that are uh, just letting that go. So good job. Keep it up. Well done. Justin, I didn't know you had it in you. That's cool. So that's awesome. All right, so we're uh, week eight today of Ordo Salutis. We've got uh, several more weeks to go, uh, actually three more weeks to go. And uh, we have looked at the commencing aspect of salvation, all the stuff that happens before the moment of salvation. Today is the last day of the things that happen at the moment of salvation. Um, so we've looked at repentance, faith, conversion, regeneration, justification, redemption, and today is adoption and reconciliation. Um, and if you, if you go and you Google this term and you go and you study about this, <laughs> you'll see that there is a great amount of time that is spent trying to figure out exactly what happens in exactly what order. I didn't want to do all that because one, I'd probably get it wrong. Two, it takes a tremendous amount of time. And three, I'd probably get it wrong. So it, it really just, to me, it doesn't matter that much. Um, for some folks, this is a live or die issue and you gotta get it right. I just, I didn't think anybody would care that much. So if you care, great. You can go play, uh, order the objects all you want. So. So then next month, we're looking at uh, the stuff that happens after the moment of salvation. So today, we'll start off with adoption. Um, the shorter definition is Michael Corleone, um, God fathers. Yes? Did you get that? You got it? Okay, cool. I just chose not to laugh. There we go. All right. So God fathers. Um, every time I type this in my notes, Word puts a little squiggly green line under it and wants me to combine the two words into one. I'm like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I want to do. Theologically different there. Uh, so the longer definition is adoption is the fatherly action taken by God to engraft, and that's a very specific word that I'm, I'm picking here, engraft believers into his family, bestow upon believers an inheritance, and create a permanent and positional relationship with himself. So that's a lot going on, but basically the concept is he was not our father, and now he is our father. That's the before and the after. Um, Theopedia, I don't know if you guys have ever gone to Theopedia. It's kind of like a Wikipedia for theology. Um, it's pretty good. This is their comment on it. Uh, it's essentially relational. Through adoption, we can relate to God the Father as our Father Savior, to Jesus as our brother and co-heir and fellow sufferer, and to the Spirit as our leader and pledge, or our down payment of our inheritance in Christ. So we get... We get a new relationship with all three members of the Trinity through this aspect of uh, salvation. Now, one of the things that I've enjoyed is seeing that for a lot of these words, the concept was really, really very evident in the Old Testament. It just gets fleshed out and maybe called something more specifically in the New Testament. These are very, very obvious Old Testament terms. We, you can see some of the verses in your notes there. Exodus 4.22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is... Uh, uh, Jehovah talking to Moses, uh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Um, so I have a question for you. And the question is, um, why Israel? Now think about this for a second. Why Israel? I mean, there were the Hittites, there were the Jebusites, and the Moabites, and the Amorites and the mosquito bites, and I mean, it's all kinds of bites, right? But why the Israelites? That's what he chose. 
He saw. Who was the beginner? Beginning? Abram. Abram. Very good. Good answer. Um, he, he said, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a nation that I'm going to love and call to myself, and it will be mine. Is that God's right to do that? It is. Um, and that's a... Uh, so when you share the gospel with somebody, maybe your first approach is probably not to start with that, right? This concept of, yeah, God picks whom he wants to pick. Yep, he does. And it's challenging, and that's a struggle, and that's hard, but that's what he does here. Um, Hosea 11.1, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Isaiah 1, 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me, which is the story of the Old Testament, right? I mean, the, the cyclical obey, reject, obey, reject, obey, reject. So let's look at the first um, word here, Strong's 5206. Now, I'm doing something different in the notes today. Um, in your copy of the notes, some verses are underlined. When you see them underlined, I want you to turn there in your Bible because... We're going to read an extended passage. So go ahead and turn to Romans 8. We're going to look at verses 14 through 23. See, I got you so used to not turning it in your Bible that you didn't even bring it today, right? You just mailed it in, right? Okay. Lucky to get in the truck. I've been there. Don't worry. Um, so the Greek word is uh, another one with 17 vowels in a row. Um, it means a couple different things, but it's actually a compound word. It's the word son. Uh, like the father and son of a relationship, and then to set or to put or to make or to establish. So the idea is to place into sonship. Um, <clears throat> so Justin, I want you to help me out here for a second. Um, can you come and take my phone and place it back on that table? Thank you. So this is the concept of this word. The, the concept of this word is that someone somewhere else goes to get something and takes it, there it was, and places it somewhere else. Now, has he placed it into a relationship yet? Not really. Put it in your pocket. Now he's placed it into a relationship. Now he's claimed it as his, right? If you were in a store, they would say that you just stole that, right? And relationally speaking, this is this Greek word. This is the word where God goes and he picks and he takes it for his own. It is now part of his family. Okay, so that's the, that's the big overarching concept in adoption. So let's look at Romans 8, verses 14 through 23. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of, there's the word, adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spe- I don't think I'll ever be able to read that verse again without te- thinking of Sean, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So these are some of the benefits that come along with this relationship. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It will get better. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the, here it is again, adoption, the redemption of our body. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago with the idea of redemption, is that you know, there's a redemptive aspect to our soul's relationship with God. There's also a redemptive aspect to our body's relationship. So the soul aspect was taken care of with Jesus on the cross. The <laughs> bodily aspect will be taken care of when? Later, <laughs> right? He's going to fix that too. He's going to fix everything. Everything that is broken will be made new. Um, Romans 9, 4 is another verse here, but Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 is in your handout. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out again, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So there's benefits to our adoption, right? Um, now, some of you know that adoption is very um, big in my family. My sister has uh, adopted two little girls. Uh, one is Lucy. And the other is Molly Blythe. They are both coming to our house for Thanksgiving. We are extremely excited about them coming. We also get to childproof the home again. So we we're kinda we were kinda past that and now we get to kind of think about that concept again. Um, and one of the neat things about adoption in America is that adoption is permanent. Um, if I have children, and I have two, two natural born children with my wife, uh, one is Anna Grace, one is Caleb. I can, <coughs> legally speaking, write them out of my will. I can say they get nothing. I can say that they get nothing. And that would be just horrible, right? I mean, you would look at me and you'd go, what kind of father are you that would write your kids out of your will? I mean, I, I don't have a lot, but I, I want them to have something when we pass, and that's where that needs to go. However, in America, if you adopt a child cannot write them out of your will. They are forevermore yours. And it is, I think, one of the most beautiful pictures of the relationship that we have with God when He adopts us. That you're in. You are in the family. I am not letting you out. You will forever be a son of God. And I go, yes! That's awesome. Because I don't want a dad that would get rid of me. Um, the two little girls that my sister has adopted, uh, they have the same mom, but different dads. She has how many children? Molly Blythe, Molly Blythe was her fourth or fifth, I think. All delivered while she was high. All delivered while she was in and out of jail. Um, all had different fathers. I mean, it's just a, you, you hear about those stories and you just go, I just want to go smack somebody. You know, it just, just makes you angry. Uh, I struggle with uh, loving people as Christ loves people in those scenarios. So that's being very transparent here. 
Um, so those kids have a family that said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want. And I love the fact that my sister said, I want, I want. And she snatched them up. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of, of God's love for us. Now, that's not the only thing that we get. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the what? The good pleasure of his will. Because he wanted to. Because it made him happy. Now, um, Lucy and Molly Blythe are, if I think about energy levels, um, so if my kids are at, what, 70% of normal, 60%, they're pretty low-key kids most of the time. More like 50? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> pretty. <laughs> that's, that's a max? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a max. Lucy and Molly Blythe, they're like 240. I mean, they are, they are awesome kids. They just, you know, amazing amounts of energy. <laughs> And, and that is a lot of fun sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes you're in scenarios where, you know what? We just need to be quiet for a little while. It'll be okay. But God says this about that relationship for the entire duration of the relationship. It's a good pleasure of his will. It's because he wants to. It makes him happy. So why does it make him happy? All right. You know what makes me happy as a, as a father? Um, I took Caleb to his very first... Uh, Vanderbilt football game, not yesterday, the weekend before that, and we sat next to a guy that, you're going to a sporting event and somebody's on their phone the whole time? Like, the whole time. Uh, I I didn't understand it either. It just made no sense to me. Until I realized what he was doing with his phone, because we were sitting behind a extreme, we were sitting on the third row, okay, and I, I, I like to sit up close because I don't want to have to stand the entire game, right? The guy sitting on the second row wanted to stand the entire game. He was the biggest human being that Caleb had ever seen. Um, Caleb's seat was directly behind his. So Caleb would stand up when he stood up and look around. And he's just grinning and grinning and grinning. And he'd sit down and he'd stand up and he's grinning and grinning. And he never once complained about jumping up and sitting down. And I thought, Cool, man. That's kind of, I said, you doing okay? My legs are tired, but I'm getting a great workout, Daddy. This is, this is a lot of fun. He's like, like, you're going to be lazy tomorrow. I know that's going to be. And he was. He was lazy last Sunday. Um, but the guy that was on his phone, I figured out what he was doing because the guy in front of us was really kind of obnoxious. Um, I had never met anybody that had a Vanderbilt tattoo before. Oh. Didn't know that was it. Yeah. I didn't... Didn't even know that was an option, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, who has that template? I'm not sure. So, um, so he's, he's really obnoxious and this and that and the other. And, and Caleb leaned over to me at one point and said, I don't think he's supposed to say that, is he? And he was like, no, he's not. It's, 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 you're right, you're right. And the guy on the other side leaned over to me when Caleb was sitting down eating popcorn at one time. And he said, this kid's really, he's really well behaved. I was like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And just a little bit. Cool. That good pleasure. That, yeah, that's my boy. I'm, I'm really, I'm, that's, that's awesome. That's my boy. Um, so I can experience a little of that, but for God, he experiences that 
about us, period. Right? We're his. What was he doing on his Oh, I'm sorry. Rabbit trail with no door at the end, right? Yeah, okay. So, so he was he was live tweeting this guy, doing little Vine videos and posting them to Twitter about all the obnoxious things that he was saying. And and he was getting tons of hits and comments on it. So he was just excited about he showed me and I was like, Oh, that's great. Yeah, wonderful. There's a game right there. Okay. Um, dude's probably going to get saved, come to Stuart Heights at one point, listen to the back podcast and realize this was me and be like, what in the world? No, probably not. Um, all right. So that's the, uh, that's the concept of adoption. So that, actually, those are the words of adoption that we've just looked at. Now, the concept of adoption is in a whole lot of other places in the New Testament where the word itself is not used. So flip over to John 1. How many of you are already there? Nice. Overachievers. There you go. Uh, John 1, verses 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So who are the own? Israel, right? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? But of God. And that's all the difference. Uh, Daniel Goble called me. How long ago did he have his gallbladder stuff done? you remember? couple years ago he calls me in the middle of the night and uh and i that was before i had the do not disturb where's my phone oh it's over there thanks (laughs) appreciate that i'm the daddy here okay um that was before i had a do not disturb setting on my phone so if you call me at two o'clock in the morning that won't ring if you call me like five times in a row it'll ring because something's wrong and uh you need to be dealt with but um He called me, and it was, I, I don't know what time it was. It was like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. He said, hey, I need you over here right now. Okay. You at your house? Yep. Okay. All right. Be there in a sec. And that was me waking up out of a cold sleep, right? I mean, it was just, it was bad. Drove over, get him to the hospital. I had no clue what was wrong. I just knew he was hurting really bad. Get him, get him to the hospital. We check him in, and the nurse says, uh, are you related? And I knew the question. I knew the legal answer. I knew why she was asking the question, right? Why is she asking the question? I need to sign something. And can I be with him in the room until they figure out where, because the, the, Shelby had to give the girls to somebody before Shelby could come over. And so it was just me and Daniel in the hospital. And I uh, said, yes, he's my brother. He's my brother. And Daniel just kind of real slow looked at me and winked. And I winked back and she said, really? Because she, she saw the winks. <laughs> and uh, I said, yep. And, and I said, yes, ma'am, we have the same daddy. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> We got the same daddy, <laughs> Jaira. The first name is Jehovah. <laughs> um, if she'd asked me, that's what I'd have said. <laughs> Not of blood, but of God. And the funny thing here is that if there was ever a verse of Scripture that I disagreed with, it'd be this one. Because it kind of is of blood. It, it's, it's all about blood, actually. 
It's all about Jesus' blood. Um, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So the next, chap- the next passage is Hebrews 12. Flip over to Hebrews 12. Remember I told you there's consequences to our adoption. We have this positional relationship. We have these relationships with the members of the Trinity. We have uh, this adoption because God chose us. Here's another consequence of adoption is Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he... Just tastes bad coming out, doesn't it? I mean, Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges, you look that word up and do a study on that, it is not a spanking, it is worse than a spanking, uh, every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what, is son, for what son is there that for whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. <laughs> And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our... What does it say? What does your translation say? Our good, our profit, our benefit. That we may be partakers of his holiness. That's the... We, we cannot forget that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of salvation is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When does God get most satisfaction in us? When we glorify him, right? When we look like Jesus, we glorify him very well. Salvation is not just for the saving of our souls. Salvation is for the changing of us so that we can glorify God to the glory of God and the praise of his name forever and ever. Amen. That is what salvation is for. Okay? So what does the passage goes on? Verse 10, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Never were true words spoken, right? But painful, nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So one of the consequences to our adoption, here's your next blank, is the discipline of God. The discipline of God. And it's good for us. It's for the purpose of our holiness so we can look like Jesus, so we can glorify God. And you go, that doesn't sound very exciting. Okay. <laughs> it's necessary. <laughs> How many of you... Did, nope, I'm not going to ask that unless somebody raised their hand. Um, <clears throat> you're going to ask, does anybody enjoy disciplining their children? No, we would just we would prefer <laughs> obedience all the time and everything's perfect, right? Is that the way it is? Absolutely. Not, right? <laughs> there are occasions you really want to wear them out. Yeah. <laughs> so so let me let me explore that for just a second. <laughs> um, in those moments where you really want to wear them out, I've been there too. Is your focus their holiness? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. That's what I asked mom right. to intervene and say, you better take care of it or I'll That's why I thank God there's two parents, right? Yes. Yeah, so you can tag and... Um, yeah, and, and this is the thing that, that I just... that continues to amaze me about the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament is that why God just didn't wipe us out more often. He only hit the reset button once, guys. I mean, I... <laughs> 
Noah got the reset button. And there's a movie coming out. The trailer itself has so many theological errors in it. Just don't, don't hang your hat on that one, okay? This ain't, this ain't written by folks that really cared about staying true to that story. So I'm off that rabbit trail back. Um, but Russell Crowe's in it, so we're going to go buy the ticket anyway, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so God's discipline is the purpose for the purpose of our holiness. So even in that moment of discipline, he is focused on our holiness. There's just a challenge for us all as parents, right? All right, next word, reconciliation. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I keep talking about adoption there. Reconciliation. So the shorter definition is God exchanges. God exchanges. So reconciliation is God exchanging my separated relationship with him with a peaceful relationship with him through the finished work of Christ. So a um, couple words here. Is, is Strong 604 the first one on your... Yep, okay. There's another word that's translated uh, reconciliation one time in the Old Testament. We already dealt with it when we covered atonement, so I'm not going to go back over it. Uh, but Strong 604, the Greek is uh, apokatalasso. You like that? Apokatalasso? Name your kiddo that one. That's right. You'll condemn them to Fs in kindergarten because they'll never spell it right. <laughs> to reconcile completely. To reconcile completely. How many of you are in some way, shape, or form deal with finances at your job? Deal with finances at your job? How many of you in some way, shape, or form deal with finances at your house? Yes? Cool. Um, what does reconcile mean? What does reconcile mean? You've got to agree. There's an agreement here, right? And, and the word balance came up. So what do we balance to? The bank, right? Because the bank's right. The bank's not always right. Really? When is the bank wrong? Human error. Human error, right? So in this reconciliation, in soteriologically speaking, in salvation, what are we reconciling to? Who's right in that relationship? God. So we are reconciled to him. He didn't reconcile to us. He's the truth. He's the right. Okay? This is the huge concept here, is that he's not going, oh, I need to look more like Jim. Absolutely, because Jim's right. No, those words ain't ever come out of the Almighty's mouth, and they ain't going to come out of the Almighty's mouth. It's just not how that works. What? Did she say amen? Yes, she did. That's awesome. <clears throat> Moving right along. <clears throat> how many of you have already turned to Ephesians chapter 2? Seeing if this is working. This is working pretty good, okay? Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 16. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He made peace with God on behalf of us, who has made both one... There's now no difference between Jew and Gentile and has broken down that middle wall of separation, the veil that kept us out, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. What was the word we studied before talking about the wrath of God? 
Start with a P, remember? Propitiation. Propitiation. Yeah, propitiation, yes. And that's that God's angry and somebody has to do something to make him not angry. That's what Jesus did through his atoning work, the one-ment, the at-one-ment of God and man. So having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So Jesus fulfilled the law so we don't have to. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Peace comes from the atonement. That he might, here it is, reconcile them both, the Jews and the Gentiles, to God in one body, that's all the believers, through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. You go, oh my goodness, yeah. Um, I almost, almost borrowed uh, Gary's, not Daryl's, because I tried Daryl's on once and about killed myself. Uh, his hip waders, you know, the, the things that they get into when they baptize. I tried Daryl's on one time. It's got a strap that goes around your neck. I could stand up about this far. <laughs> I'm like, well, that doesn't work, does it? Okay. Iverson's got some that swallow me whole. He's, he's, a, he's a tall dude. Um, but this is an incredibly deep passage of Scripture. We're not going to try to unpack everything in here. The bottom line is that the result of the atonement is reconciliation. So what was the atonement? The atonement was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross where the at-one-ment, where God and man are, can, now be, can now be reconciled. It's a process, right? So there's the sacrifice of the atonement, then there's reconciliation. The reconciliation is the peace. It's the exchange of that bad relationship with a new relationship. All right, so this is probably the, one of the only things that I'm going to say, this happens before this. The atonement happens before the reconciliation. You have to have that happen in that direction. So Colossians 1, 19 through 22, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. That's the word. I don't have you fill in the blank on Bible verses very often, but himself. We are reconciled to him. Capital H, that's important. Um, You've got to have a capital H on that himself. It's not this himself, it's that himself. By him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, that's us, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, there it is again, the holiness, and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So it's just a beautiful, beautiful concept. Uh, skip down to Strong's 2643. Um, the Greek word is katalage. This is exchanging uh, or exchanging things of equivalent value. And, and Brian and I, this is one of the reasons I was late getting here this morning, we were talking about this in the, in the lobby or in the office at church up here. And the, uh, the exchanging equivalent values. I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. So you say, what's, what's reconciliation about? Reconciliation is about exchanging a bad relationship for a good relationship. This word means to exchange equivalent values, guys. So somehow or another, these things are equivalent. And I go, my, my math brain goes, and just breaks in half over this because I, I don't know how this works. Um, and Brian and I were talking about it, and he said, I don't think we're supposed to know how that works. I think that's one of those his ways are higher than our ways. And his love for us is so powerful that in, in God's mind, that's a good deal. And I go, yeah, but that's not fair. What does he get? He gets a bad, broken relationship, and he gives me a good one. 
And in his mind, that's a good deal. And I say, praise the Lord. I don't, I don't know how that works. That works. It's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So Romans 5, 10 and 11, For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through which we have now received the reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing. So that was the noun. The, the verb is the next one, Strong's 2644. You notice how the numbers are very similar sometimes? That's because when you spell a word differently in Greek, you change the part of speech from a noun to a verb to an adjective to an adverb to different parts of speech. They're just spelled just one or two letters differently. For those of you that were really concerned about the numbering there, I know there were several of you. So the Greek word is katalasso, it's very close, to exchange or to reconcile those who are at variance to receive into favor. So let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. This is a good one to end on. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Again, we get reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I hear people read this verse sometimes and read this passage and they just kind of blow past this. And it's huge because there's a fundamental principle that I have not talked about yet in this whole series and that's these things that God does to us we are to do them to others. Okay? So this reconciliation, he reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? Let's just think about this for a second. We talked about the word reconciliation, and reconciliation requires truth, right? Reconciliation requires two parties to agree on truth. So the, if we are to practice the ministry of reconciliation, the assumption, the underlying assumption is that we know what truth is and that we have people that we are trying to get to truth. Does this make sense? This is bloody, ugly, hard work. This is not nice, sanitary, nice corner work. This is ugly stuff. This is where feelings get hurt. This is where friendships are broken and we are called into the ministry of reconciliation. It is not easy. This is not a five-step process. Sometimes this takes the length of your natural life. And we are called into it because it is good. And it reflects the nature and the characteristics of God. So, verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not, not putting it on their account, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this is a vastly complex word that doesn't mean we sit on our butts and do nothing. It means we get out and actively engage in the work of reconciliation. And it is hard, and it is ugly, and it is tough, and it is so worth it. Because when you see parties reconcile, you go, that's an example of what God can do in our lives. And God gets the glory from that, and it is beautiful. So what's the understanding? Well, through faith in Christ, God adopts the sinner into his family. I have a little parenthesis in mind. With a father, capital F, a brother, capital B, brothers and sisters, lowercase b, lowercase s, and an inheritance, back to the handout, and reconciles the sinner into a right relationship. It's beautiful. So, if you look at the, the left-hand side, the performed by God, the monergistic, 
foreknowledge, predestination, election, atonement, propitiation, conviction, calling, regeneration, justification, redemption, adoption, and reconciliation. So what do we do? We bring sin. We tell others through evangelism. We repent and have faith that actually he gives us. And we make a decision to convert. God's busy in this process, guys. He's very, very busy. It's beautiful. So next week, we start looking at the stuff after the moment of salvation, sanctification, mortification, and evidence. Three big, big, big concepts. Most of the time, evidence is not discussed in uh, salvation-type discussions. I think it's very important because it gives us some level of confidence. That's the reason I'm including it here. So uh, sanctification, mortification, and evidence next week. So thank you for coming. Uh, Make sure your names are on the handout. Make sure that you've got your prayer requests written down there. Darla continues to do a great job of getting these out. If you're not a member of the Facebook group, um, please let me know, and I'll get you added to that so that you can see all these and pray for these uh, during the week as well. And then we'll stack the chairs, and we'll be done. So thank you for coming. Uh, We pray as a group, and you're done.